Hello, welcome to Growing Up Crazy, where we talk about all things divinely inspired and the nature in which we hope they originate from. Of course, us being just mere little mortals and our small little human consciousnesses, trying to cram so much of the universe into it, seems sometimes it seems to just hurt a little bit. But we're here to help you stretch through the pain, sort of breathe in. <sighs> breathe out like you do in yoga. This is yoga for your consciousness. This is yoga for your expansion and fulfillment in the universe at large. Now that we've done talking through all of the bullshit, let's get into some of the... <laughs> The more finer points to this podcast, and the whole reason why I'm doing it, is because I wrote a little ditty, I call it The Art of Lucid Dreaming, a manual for self-discovery, and I really mean that. It's not actually just some sort of, like, tripe or bullshit that we throw around. And uh, you will have to excuse my language on recording this, because I was trying to make a professional podcast, but then I realized that I am a sailor as well, that's what I do for a living, or have done for a living, and even though I don't identify with it as far as who I am... It definitely has rubbed off on me, and one of the ways it's rubbed off on me a lot is my vocabulary. So you'll have to, or do whatever you want, or take it however you want, but this is something that's not going to change any day soon, even though I am making a conscious effort to try to tone it down a little bit. But for this first podcast, and also for the resulting few to follow, I decided to just be me, and me swears right now. So uh, I hope everybody's fucking okay with that. So one of the things that I did was I wrote down a manual. I call it the Art of Lucid Dreaming, Manual for Self-Discovery, as I just said. And what I, why I did that was because there's a, a method, and it's a pretty simple method. It's straightforward. Simple doesn't automatically mean easy, though. It's not what I would call a walk in the park for many. Some people take to it naturally. Others don't. I took to it naturally because I started as a child when I feel like we're more malleable, and I did it originally almost by mistake. It happened as a result of a practice that I was employing with myself to try to overcome some of my childhood fears. But that became a methodology for lucid dreaming. I stumbled into it, and I did it for years, and I would tell people about this throughout the course of my life, and would show people how to go about doing it. Whenever the subject would come up, it was never really a big thought for me because like I said it's something that since I've done since childhood it's it's for me it's normal it's something that I've always done it's what I've something I've always been experienced to and I didn't really realize until I got older and started talking to people about these things that I discovered that it wasn't as normal as I thought it was um, actually quite rare so people encouraged me to write these things down this methodology down and that's exactly what I did I went ahead and I wrote it down and then after I wrote it down I scaled it back dramatically I edited it and kept editing it until it was just nothing more than a few pages just about a methodology the only philosophy I allowed myself to include in the manual was just philosophy that I felt served lucid dreaming and helped facilitate lucid dreaming for whoever was going to be reading it as a result, this manual is really more for somebody that is already lucid dreaming, but could benefit just from some of the finer points of lucid dreaming, as well as the idea of a practice to engage in to help bring it about more often, like as a once a night or a once a week thing, instead of just a random thing that would happen as it did. So I wrote the manual with that person in mind, but it also does briefly introduce the topic to what could be a new person and then provide the web address for this podcast. And this is where we're really going to be digging into the meat and the potatoes of the thing. This is really where I'm going to be going ahead and explaining a lot of the concepts that I was talking about, uh, going into depth as far as the methodology, how exactly we do this, giving giving 
more examples than what's presented in the book and more tricks, more techniques, more ways of doing this than I wanted to include on paper. And I'll also be walking you through a few of the exercises in this book. We'll be doing them several times in different ways and in a more in-depth method, like I said, to try to really help some people through, which might be a new concept for some or maybe not a completely new concept, but you're struggling with some of the points behind it. So that's why we're really doing this. So let's go ahead and let's get into it. The, um, first of all, what do we mean by lucid dreaming? Who's had a lucid dream? Well, lucid dreaming is not what a lot of people consider it to be. A lot of people think about it as being a very vivid dream or a very realistic dream or a lifelike dream or maybe a dream where you couldn't tell if it was really taking place or not. It's not what I mean at all. Uh, what I mean when I say lucid dreaming is, is the conscious awareness of a dream as it's taking place, that we're in the dream, completely surrounded by the dream. It, the dream can be whatever it wants. It could be fantastical. You could be on the surface of the moon or you could be in your own living room. It doesn't matter. But having the conscious awareness of the dream as it's taking place and being able to engage with the dream with your conscious awareness, with your waking awareness, or as I say, your waking self. That's one of the terms that I introduce and honestly one of the terms I just make up out of thin air. But it is necessary because we tend to think of ourselves as a whole person and we're really not. We really are not. Like, we are, yes, of course, an aggregate, an entire person. There's not a piece of us hanging out last week waiting to catch up with the rest of us. But those pieces do not fit together as seamlessly as, as some would imagine. Dreaming being a perfect example. If those pieces did fit together seamlessly, Especially in childhood, when we'd have more fantastical dreams than we do right now, we would automatically realize that we were dreaming while it was taking place. Because obviously, a 10-foot-tall shadow is not going to be chasing you through Candyland. At some point, your conscious mind would ascertain the situation, even as a child. I think at some point, for all of us, would say, hey, wait a minute, this ain't real, this must be a dream. And that does happen for some people, but it doesn't happen nearly as often as it would if we were fully integrated with all the different pieces of ourselves. We're not. These pieces, they don't quite line up well. And a lot of what we're doing with this art of lucid dreaming and the manual and the methods that I use is getting those pieces to line up together, is really getting them to kind of work together like both of our feet, left and a right. We have a left and a right foot. They sort of mirror each other, but they're opposed, joined to the same body, but opposed. Of course, when they work together, we move around a lot better than when they work independently. The way a lot of our waking selves and our dreaming selves work, though, for most of us, is actually independently. So while we're awake, we kind of hop around on one foot, and then we go to sleep, and we hop around on the other one. Lucid dreaming is the bridge between the two in which we get both of these feet to work together. And how we do that, how we do that in my method, is we invite the dreaming mind into our waking consciousness so that then we can enter into the dreaming consciousness with our waking selves as well. Let me explain all that because it sounds nice, but what exactly am I talking about and how exactly do we do it? Well, first of all, I describe as the two different parts of ourselves as our waking self and our dreaming self, for one. Our waking self being who we are when we're awake, our dreaming self being who we are when we're asleep. Then I have the realities of the situation, like we have our waking reality, which is everything that we know and understand to be reality, but we also have our dreaming reality. And why I consider it a reality in and of itself is that even though it's taking place within us, we perceive it as a reality. We have a dreaming mind, we have a dreaming self and a dreaming consciousness that exists within that dreaming reality, and it perceives all of it as real as it's taking place. If not, 
like I said, we wouldn't have this manual. We would all be lucid dreaming every single night. We obviously do not. So we have to differentiate these two and make this distinction that it is a unique place full of discovery that, that we want to enter into with our waking selves and with our waking consciousness. And like I said, how we're going to do that is by creating a space within our daily world, within our waking reality, in which we allow the dreaming mind in. Why is this necessary and what do I really mean by this? Well, you have to look at the waking consciousness and the waking mind for what it is. It's, it's, it's what I'm using to speak to you right now. It's what's operating your computer. It's, what's, your computer. it's what understands the world as it exists in our society. It's a series of routines, mostly routines, that uses a descriptive language-based means of processing the world and turning it into a routine that we can then work with and understand. Let me say that a different way. We perceive reality with our waking consciousness, usually through means of descriptions. Not very much is new, especially by the time we get older. Not much in our world, our waking world, our waking reality is new. We go through a series of routines in which the elements in our day, our day-to-day -day life are usually understood and we understand them through our descriptions about them. Those descriptions usually have something to do with us and usually have to do with either pursuing pleasure or avoiding pain. But most of it is a routine. And I always said that what passes for reality is usually repetition in disguise because it is. It's because this is true. Like if you think about it, we wake up more or less to the same people. We go to more or less the same job with more or less the same people when we get there. We tell more or less the same stories to those same people, talk about mostly the same things. The newness that we have throughout the day is usually comes through a cultural filter and it's fed to all of us so that even the next episode in whatever show you happen to be watching is new, we've all seen it. And so there's a, a, a description already in place for it. The news gives us descriptions, and depending on our news source is whichever description we adopt. But most of this stuff comes as repetition. And like I say, repet what repetition is usually, or reality is usually repetition in disguise, or what most people consider reality is usually repetition in disguise. There's not much newness, and that's because our waking consciousness, being that it is a descriptive, descriptive process that employs language, doesn't come across new things very well it prefers routine it prefers repetition because it's already when it gets something new then it has to evaluate it and then make up a story behind that so by the time we're older at least most of our waking selves prefer almost to deal with the understood and the repetitive when it gets something new it will either avoid it or ignore it or obsess about it until it's created a story about it by the time we we get onto our stride new things are almost like almost like a grain of sand in an oyster. Uh, our waking consciousness doesn't really enjoy those sharp edges of truth, so it starts to mold a description around. It keeps coating it and layering it with description until it feels like it understands that thing. And once it understands that thing, it can then categorize it and, and summarily dismiss it most times. That is completely almost antithetical to the dreaming mind. If you remember the dreams that you've had, they're very much in the moment. If you can recall who you were in that moment, you'll realize that you don't really talk to yourself nearly as much as you do while you're awake. There's not nearly as much description going on. You're not, while we're awake, we normally are analyzing and sometimes overanalyzing the past and then trying to predict the future. Like I said, usually for the purpose of either gaining pleasure or avoiding pain. But it's 
always that that past view and then trying to apply it to future circumstance. Whereas the dreaming mind is much more in the now. It's much more focused on what's going on and it's almost being pulled from experience to experience. And its world is full of the new. It's full of experience. It's full of what's going on now in the moment. Our waking selves, our waking consciousness, our waking reality is more full to the brim of descriptions. Not much in the way of new, but we fill it to the brim with descriptions. And we have habits that go along with this. Our dreaming mind is full to the brim with experience in the now moment experience. So this is why they don't really see each other, because they are both trained to not see each other by their very nature. The waking mind doesn't see the new. It is looking for what it processes reality through description. So it's looking for things that it already has described, it already has figured out. And then we go through a series of repetitions, whereas the dreaming mind is solely focused on the experience, solely focused on the new. Not nearly as concerned with reflection and self-reflection. has very little to do with that. So, and both of these worlds are to the brim with what makes them up. The dreaming self with how it processes the reality, processes reality in the moment with experience, it's full to the brim with experience. And since it's full to the brim with experience, there's no room for that self-reflection that the waking mind uses to operate. And the same thing in our waking selves, in our waking consciousness, its entire world is full of description. It is constantly describing everything and then relating it to ourselves. That's our self-reflection. People understand as the ego and how we perceive ourselves. But that's really nothing more than a description that we've learned to maintain. That we, it has a momentum behind it. And it has a momentum behind it because, due to repetition. Because the people that we associate with are usually the same people tomorrow as they were yesterday. And those people have learned a description of us that they're then able to repeat. If we were to go someplace entirely new, we'd have to start the process all over again. If we ourselves were to become new people, we could let the entire thing go. It really is as the descriptive world is really something that we just made up. Sure, it's based in reality, but we really just made the fucking thing up. Like the stock market. You know, yeah, of course it's a real thing. It moves the world. But we made that shit up from, from scratch. It doesn't exist outside of the energy that we put into it. It's not a tree. It's not nature. It's not air. It's not even a table. It's, it is a description. It is an idea. And it's an idea that has life through us relating to it. And we give it the importance that it has. It has no inherent value. It only has value that we give it. Basically. Our descriptions of ourselves are very much the same way. As are many of our descriptions. Now... We can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I don't agree with the Buddhist view of ego death or, you know, we must let go of all of these things. Of course, attachment to them is fucks us up because we made this thing up from scratch. So if we're running around attached to our own creations, that's a little silly. But the descriptive view of the world is how we process reality. It's how we know that this thing is dangerous and that thing is safe, how we know we can eat this and we can't eat that. It's how we understand the world around us. Sure, there are many different ways of perceiving the world around us, but we are almost hardwired to judge and evaluate while we're awake. It's how we know that the sound of an oncoming train is something we might want to pay attention to. So I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm just pointing it out so that we can be clear on what's required and why these two sides of ourselves don't necessarily see eye to eye. It's because the way that they function in the world that they exist in are not antithetical, but they're 
almost trained to ignore each other because they have no value to each other. The moment-to-moment newness of the dreaming world really has no value to the waking world because the waking world relies on its descriptions in order to process reality. Sure, we can have one or two new things, but if everything was new every moment of the day, it would just overwhelm our waking mind. Our waking reality would just become, we would be paralyzed, would not be able to know what to do. Happens to a lot of people on acid. Perfect example. Whereas the dreaming self finds the waking mind and all of its internal conversation heavy and encumbering. It doesn't reflect on the things. It just moves with them. It moves along with the world that it's in, in the moment that it is in. It finds the waking consciousness very heavy, very encumbering, and self-reflection to just be a complete waste of time, obviously, because you're in a dream. So getting these two sides of ourselves to, to... speak to each other and also to interact and not only do that but seamlessly to allow that baton to pass back and forth really is what lucid dreaming is all about and honestly it is a very superior way of being in my opinion as even in the world like our waking consciousness can really use some of the tricks that our dreaming consciousness understands intuitively how many times have we been in our waking consciousness and just gotten completely enwrapped in something that happened that honestly probably didn't deserve all that much attention? Maybe somebody flicked you off in traffic or maybe it was a good thing. You know, maybe you're just obsessing about one of these good things. You want it to happen again. You find yourself thinking about it maybe a little bit too much, maybe during times when you should be focused on other things. Who knows? But whatever it is, the dreaming consciousness's ability to just exist in the moment and move with that moment is vital for a lot of things that do happen in our waking reality. I'll give you an example, surfing. Um, Surfing, you're trying to reflect on yourself how you look while you're doing it. You're going to mess up, or it's going to be much more difficult to try to occupy the space of self-reflection. Anything that's experience-based, anything that does not require a description to exist, that exists in reality. Sports, perfect example. Sports athletes call it being in the zone. I'm sure a big part about professional sports is being able to ignore the crowd. Forget about how you might look to the camera and just go with it. I'm sure that's what acting is, even though I've never started a movie. I imagine if you sit there and you're constantly concerned about how you might look to the camera, then you will not look natural whatsoever. I'm sure an excellent actor is somebody that can use those tricks of the dreaming consciousness to just exist in that moment as it appears in that moment to them, you know, from the inside out. So there are a number of positive things we can use with this. The dreaming mind definitely has a place in our waking reality. Definitely has a place in our waking reality. But learning to pass that baton back and forth is critical. And it's not easily done for our waking selves sometimes, because sometimes our waking selves feel threatened. Like I said, we use these descriptions not only to perceive the world, but to perceive ourselves. And a lot of times we identify with our descriptions of ourselves. We see that as us. And if those things come underneath attack at all, we react as if we ourselves are being attacked. Uh, What I just said, being flipped off in traffic is a perfect example. What is the reality of that situation? Who fucking cares? (laughs) You know what I mean? Who cares? Seriously, at the end of the day, really? But, but it does matter. It does matter to us because we have a description and we have an opinion and we have decided that these things matter. We have described it as such. And to a small segue, I'm not going to infer that the the energy that's being projected at us doesn't matter because there is an 
intangible force that surrounds all things. So that whole words can never hurt me is true, but not the energy behind those words sometimes. And anybody that's been in a personal confrontation knows this, that the words are secondary, but there is a non-physical force that's going back and forth. And so I'm not discounting that at all. That also, though, is very much in the world of the dreaming mind, too, that instantaneous reaction. You ask, if you watch any boxer performing on on TV, I was going to say you can ask any boxer. Obviously, you can't ask a boxer, you know, on television. But you just watch them. They're not thinking. They're not perceiving the world in terms of description. They're not describing the punch to them as it's coming at them. They're not describing it to themselves. They're just simply reacting. They're right in that moment, moving with that moment as it's occurring. That is very much the province of the dreaming mind, and it exists with us in our in our daily world. Not for most of us, because honestly, most of us have lifestyles of routine. How many of us are boxers, right? How many of us are play professional sports? How many of us are actors? How many of us are musicians? All of these things are things that we, that exist very much in the world of the dreaming mind. So I'm only bringing this out to show you that there is tangible benefits, tangible benefits to using those expertise of the dreaming mind and the dreaming reality in our waking mind. One of them, and the one we're focusing on here today, is going to be to achieve lucid dreaming. How do we do this? Well, we do it because first we need a space. We need a space in our waking reality in which to invite the dreaming mind in, right? And that space that we need to create is silence. Let me go a little bit further in describing it. Silence is what happens when we stop. When we stop the describing, when we stop the routine, when we stop the internal conversation, when we stop self-reflection. A lot of times we fill up our waking mind, our waking consciousness, only with self-reflection. We think about ourselves, and we think about what somebody else might be thinking when thinking about us, which honestly, to me, I believe is the definition of insanity. But I digress. So what we need to do is stop all of that. And what happens when we stop that is silence. Silence is an experience. It's a feeling, but it's also an experience. This is an experience-based reality that we perceive as a feeling. And I want to make the distinction between feelings and emotions. Feelings are things that exist in and of themselves, such as the feeling of hot or cold. You can put your hand on a hot surface and you'll feel the heat. No one has to explain it to you and you don't have to describe it to yourself. You feel the heat. It's an experience. Same thing with cold. And the same thing with silence. Silence is an experience that's perceived as a feeling. It's there all around us at all times when we stop, when we stop the self-reflection, when we stop the conversation. This space of silence will be the space we occupy when we beckon the dreaming mind. All right. We're going to go ahead and talk you through a little bit right now. We're going to go ahead and do just a brief explanation of what I'm talking about to help you try to get an idea. So if you look around, wherever you happen to be sitting right now, just look around, just listen to the sound of my voice, but look around the room and look at the screen Don't look at your phone. Don't look at anything normal. Don't look at anything routine. Don't look at anything that you normally look at or that you have a description of. Instead, take a deep breath and look up into the corners of the room and just look at them. Look at the ceiling. 
Look at the way the ceiling joins the corner. If you have a window in your room, look at the window. But not just at the window. Look at the way the light comes through the window, the way the shadows reflect off of it. Look at the shadows that it casts from the window panes onto the floor or onto the countertop or onto the cupboard. Look at the shadows of the covers itself and the way the light plays off of them, light to shadow. Look down, take a deep breath, and look at your own hands. Really look at them, the palms of your hands. Look at the lines of the palms in your hands and remember to breathe. Breathe in deeply. And when you let it out, just let your mind wander and let your eyes wander and let them wander to new places and really breathe and really let them go. Nothing specific, nothing you've seen before. And when you're in this space, realize that in this moment, you could be dreaming. And I want you to look at your room. I want to look at wherever you are with the knowledge that it could be a dream. The distinct possibility, the very real possibility, that this could all be a dream right now. You could be having a dream right now. And as you breathe in, look at the new places and really take on the possibility that this could be a dream. Because this is what you're going to be doing while you're asleep. This is going to be doing at all moments. It's questioning what you see in front of you from the standpoint that this could be a dream. And ask yourself this question, am I dreaming? Really ask yourself. Ask it as if it demands a definitive answer. Ask it as if you don't know the answer. Ask it as if there's a possibility that the answer is yes. Because there is a possibility that the answer is yes. And sooner or later, when you ask this question, the answer will be yes. So you need to do it seriously. You need to do it with dedication. And you need to do it with openness to the possibility that, the, that you might indeed be dreaming. Because how you ask yourself this question right now is exactly how you will ask yourself the question in the dream. If you rush through this experience right now, you'll rush through it in a dream. So take a deep breath. Look around the room. Am I dreaming? Hopefully the answer is yes. And you dreamt this entire podcast and now you're about to embark on your lucid dream. If not, and you're still with me and you are listening to this over your computer and I am speaking into mine and we are both sharing the world of the waking self as it exists. Welcome back. I'm hoping that you felt a little bit of what I'm talking about. What you should have felt is a space. The light should have looked a little bit different. Colors might have seemed a little bit brighter. You might have noticed some things, maybe even felt like a tension or a buzzing in the air, maybe a tension or a buzzing within yourself. That is perceiving reality as it, direct, as it actually exists, not in terms of descriptions, but reality as a feeling, not as an emotion, not as an emotional reaction to your descriptions, but as an actual feeling as reality moves through existence. What do I mean by that? Well. Obviously, I can't use a description to, to talk about an event. Trying to use language to speak about silence is like trying to fuck your way to virginity. I also enjoy kicking water uphill and nailing jello to a tree. But, really, but we're going to try because language and conversation is the means the waking consciousness uses to understand reality and since it's our waking consciousness that we're going to try to get to a place of silence and the waking consciousness that we're going to get to extend the olive branch to the dreaming self 
we have to use language and we have to use words to hopefully to get an idea to start a practice so that when it does happen, you'll be able to recognize it. Like I said before, silence is an experience. We experience silence the same way we would hot or cold. No one has to tell you when it happens. As a general rule, if you have to ask yourself, is this silence? You're not in silence yet. You're still in self-reflection. Silence is an experience that you will understand intrinsically when it happens. Like nobody has to tell you when you're having sex, you are either having sex or you're not. Well, hopefully nobody has to tell you when you're having sex. Is it in yet? But yeah, for the rest of us, not in loveless marriages, no, you won't have to be told when you're in silence. It'll just, it'll descend upon you. It'll be an experience that, that happens. How we get the mind to a space of silence, like I said, is actually more a process of stopping. We stop the dialogue. We stop the conversation we're having with ourselves. We stop reflecting of ourselves. We stop asking ourselves questions. We just stop and we breathe and we see the world in a new way. And one of the things that helps with this is looking at new places because like I said before, the descriptive language-based way of perceiving reality doesn't work very well when it's given too much new information. If you, if you flood it with the new, it has a hard time describing anything and then it just stops. And when it stops, what's left over is silence. So one good thing about is when you're outside, look at a horizon. Look at the clouds and breathe. Remember to breathe. Look at moving water. Look at the shadows of things. Look at the way light plays off the for surface of the water. Is another very good one. And you just look at it. It's almost like a meditating with your eyes open. And for those of you that have meditated before, you'll understand a little bit like what I'm talking about. This is a form of meditation, but it's meditating on the world instead of just letting everything go. You're remaining present to the world and meditating on that reality not as a description, but as a feeling that you're perceiving with all of your senses, both the physical and the non-physical. This is important because this is what creates that space of silence. The longer that we can maintain that space of silence, the better because the bigger window that we will have with entering in the dreaming world and getting the dreaming mind into our consciousness. What I use is the question, am I dreaming? So I enter in the space of silence by trying to flood my mind with the new. When I'm in the space of silence, when I'm having the experience of it, I then look at the world. And you don't have to ask yourself the question in terms of a command or use, even use the words. But you have to look at the world to really ascertain it and have the question, am I dreaming? And really seek for an answer to that from that space of silence. And do that until you are sure of the answer, till you can perceive the world from a space of silence as it exists, as a feeling in the moment, and have decided that, no, indeed, you're not dreaming. You're still in your waking consciousness. If you can do this, that is the first step towards lucid dreaming, achieving this moment, first achieving the silence, and then being able to experience the world as a feeling without the need to describe it to yourself, being able to focus on something new. That focusing on the new is what's going to beckon your dreaming consciousness. That's what's going to invite it in. And the space of silence is what allows it to come into our waking reality because the waking mind is tuned down a little bit. It's no longer talking. Allows the dreaming mind to enter in that space of silence to look at something new. And then with the dreaming mind, really look at it. Am I dreaming? 
And so the dreaming mind and the conscious mind are now working together to ascertain the situation, the reality. What is this reality right now? Is this reality right now a dream or is this reality right now waking reality? The answer is what it is. And that's how it's done. That is the process. Very simple. Like I said, sometimes the simple things are not necessarily easy. Some people will obviously take to this easy. Some people won't. And I'm going to go ahead and make the next podcast really about the space of silence and then stepping into the dream. For right now, though, I really want to reinforce the point of the process and why this process is important and what exactly is going to be going on. So we're going to learn silence. We're going to learn how to exist in a state of silence while we're awake. From that state of silence, we're going to look, learn how to observe the new and then observe the new with our dreaming mind and with a conscious mind and the dreaming mind together to ascertain our current reality and really to look at it and to decide if am I dreaming? Am I dreaming this reality or is this something that's coming through all on its own? But I want to take a moment now to just reinforce the process and to talk about what's going to be going on, like how this is going to be done. And it's going to be achieved by learning how to create that space of silence. And then from that space of silence, bringing in the new. And when we bring in the new, we bring in the dreaming mind with it. And then getting the waking mind and the dreaming mind to work together in that space to really look at what's going on and perceive the world, not as a description, not as an emotional reaction to what we're perceiving, but to perceive it as a feeling, as an experience, as an experience that we're having right now in the present right now moment. And then making a distinction in that right now moment. When we really learn how to do that, when we really learn how to stop everything and take stock of ourselves and the world as it truly exists, we get an immense sense of power, an immense source of control over our lives and over ourselves. And it is the first step into lucid dreaming. That right there is the tool that we will use to begin lucid dreaming. After we get that down, the only thing that comes next and the only thing required is just to make it, is just to repeat that behavior and to make that repetitive behavior a habit so that eventually it starts occurring unbidden without conscious control or permission, just unbidden. Like how we have many habits, most of us check our phones this way. We don't really think about it before or after. We just suddenly have the impulse. We look at our phone, see what's going on with it. This will become a process just like that. And then as soon as it becomes a habituated way of behaving, a habituated experience, then that experience will transfer over to our dreaming selves and will repeat the same behavior while we're asleep. And as long as you are certain to do it faithfully, do it fully, and to really experience the moment and genuinely ask their question while you were awake, then it will happen while you are asleep. It will become a habit. That habit will be repeated while you're asleep and you will genuinely ask the question while you're asleep and you will get the answer and the answer will be yes. That is how we initiate lucid dreaming. Like I said, it really is that simple. We learn how to take stock of the present moment from a place of silence. We then make that a habit, becomes a routine, and then a habit. That habit becomes being performed unconsciously and then as soon as it becomes performed unconsciously, that unconscious habit carries over into our dreams. We perform it in our dream. We take stock of the situation within our dream from a place of silence. Our waking mind enters and sort of wakes up within the dream, decides, yes, I am having a dream, and then we go from there. That's how I learned how to do it. That's how I've taught other people how to do it. And that's really as easy as it is. 
The rest is just determination and effort. Done, for hopefully and preferably, with a sense of joy and excitement about these things. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and sign off right now. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there just to get something out there because we're going to be having a book talk here in just two days, and I want to have this material out. So it'll be a little rough. It'll be a little unpolished, but it'll give something for people hopefully to listen to before Monday, and I may come back later and clean it up, throw in some intro and outro music, or have something on the end of it just as a reflection. For right now... This is the basics. This is what we're going to need because this is what we're going to be practicing on Monday. And uh, hopefully you're practicing it at home. All right. God bless. Guys, have a good night. Ciao.